0: Hi, this is Plum, and we are on Faith's Edge with Joe Taylor. If you're not physically fit, you will not be able to fulfill God's purpose for your life.
1: Well, thanks, Plum. It was great meeting you. My conversation with Plum is coming up in a few weeks. We'll talk about her new book, CD, Family, Faith, and her willingness to fight for what's right. Welcome to the 110th episode of On Faith's Edge. My name is Joe Taylor recovering atheist and your servant in Jesus Christ. This is your place to hear conversations about God and living a life of faith in Jesus Christ. I just turned 51 years old over the past few months. Let's just call it that. And I start to thinking about being into the final quarter or if I'm optimistic, the final half of my life. I'll be honest with you, it's becoming harder to stay in shape. I bet I've lost 30 pounds 30 times in my life and (laughs) I find myself on that path again. And I start thinking about retirement and what all that means. And to be quite honest with you, I don't ever see myself retiring. Not, it's not so much of a money issue as it is. I don't want to stop moving. I don't want to retire in the traditional sense. I know people, people close to me that just stopped when they retire. They stopped moving, stopped thinking, and generally stopped engaging in life. I won't do that. As I grow older, I want to have a vibrant, energetic body mind and spirit that's why today's conversation with my friend tom thompson couldn't be more timely for me personally tom just released his third book get a kick out of life expect the best of your mind body and soul at any age we last spoke with tom on episode 63 where we talked about his book kickstart He's an author, coach, and sought-after speaker. He holds the world record for being the oldest athlete at 61 years old to score in an NCAA football game. Tom is 69 years old. But looking at him, speaking with him, engaging him, you would think he's 15 years younger. We first met Tom Thompson back on episode 63, titled Faith, Goals, and... uh, (laughs) Poop. (laughs) During that, during that conversation, we talked deeply about his faith in his first book, Kickstart. Tom, in that interview, you compared coming to God to walking in a field of poop. We talked Mm -hmm. about, we talked about how you partied with Elvis, your NCAA record setting kick. And of course uh, your book, Kickstart. Uh, listeners can hear that conversation at on slash 63. That's on com slash six three. Now we can go back to uh, episode 63 for more details, but Tom briefly tell us your story from your real estate business to some of your life struggles, your NCAA record setting kick and right up to your new book, get a kick out of life. Expect the best of your body, mind, and soul at any
0: age. I guess the best place to start is, uh, when I you know, realized that um, I didn't need God, I could do it on my own. And I was 19 at the time. And my, keep in mind, my life at that point was already in the field of poop, but I didn't know any better because, you know, young people, they pick all the answers, but they don't know what questions to ask. I, I was that on steroids. Uh, the worst thing that can happen to a young person like that in my mind is, they all of a sudden end up with a lot of money. My father had passed away and I had much more money than since and figured out a way how to spend it in a, you know, as fast as I could on the dumbest things I could. Along the way, a merciful God just sort of uh, let me bump up against some things to know that if I kept going, I could be destroyed. I would use those moments to kind of Tilt back to normal, if you will. About the time, oh, I guess near the age of 25, I'd gone through all the money. I'd been married and divorced once, but in the meantime, I, like you say, I'd been through all the stuff, meeting Elvis and uh, spending time with him, doing all the travel I wanted to do, having all the cars I wanted to have. But there just wasn't any... um, Sense of fulfillment at any level in my life. I was I was raised Catholic, so by the time I was sixteen, I was done with uh, any kind of organized religion. After having gone through a lot of that junk, as I mentioned, I I was beginning to, you know, wonder, you know, was there really a God, and who I didn't need, as you, as you recall, I mentioned. I overheard some people standing in line at a restaurant mentioning a small non-denominational church. It was uh, one of the Dallas Theological Seminary churches uh, here in Dallas. It it just made me think, well, you know, that's not necessarily a religious type uh, church. I'll go check it out. It was an Easter Sunday. I think I was 24 years of age. And uh, went to the service, and the gentleman that was preaching, he wasn't what I either generalized as someone talking about God. He also just, he wasn't stereotypical in the sense that he was talking to us. It was more like he was talking with us. In other words, instead of the general talking to the troops, he was a a non-commissioned officer that had been shot at himself. Mm. He, when he presented the gospel, uh, I finally understood who Jesus was and why God sent him. And so, right then and there, I got saved. Now, there wasn't any, you know, big noise. There wasn't any any uh, giant epiphany for me. Although I do remember, in my spirit, so to speak, saying, "He made the blind to see." So I was able to see God's purpose of sending Jesus. From that point, I spent uh, from 24 up until 40-something years of age just being saved. And that meant I would go to church on Sunday and then try to be good all week, and by the time I showed back up at church, I had a whole bunch of junk still. Mm. And um, I just, you know, it just... And I'd go from one failure to the next, one marriage to the next, one uh, failed business deal to the next. I mean, it was just just as soon as I thought I was getting off the ground, it came crashing down again. And it was finally, just one time I just I called out to God and said, Lord, I need to have reality to my faith. I can't keep going on like this. And it wasn't too much longer after that that. Uh, someone invited me to um, a charismatic church, which I thought if I had gone to, I was going to go to hell because that's just the way I was, you know, that was described to me. I've gotten to the point that, you know, God's God and he can work however he wants to and I'm not going to confine him anymore because it mm-hmm. wasn't doing me any good. I remember going and I sat as far back in the church as I could sit because if it got crazy, I wanted out in a hurry.
1: And the conviction's less back there.
0: Yeah, of course. Of course. And <laughs> and I could always use the excuse I was going to the restroom. Sure. <laughs> but um, anyway, uh, the, after I, I, and I kept coming back, and, and on the third time back is when I fell under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And all I did was com- weep completely through the service. And at the end, you know, and there was the invitation, I went. Forward, and it was this is really surreal as I think back to this. But when the pastor came to me, all he did, he put his hands either side of my, my neck and just said, Sir, get your life in order. And that was it. it. It was sometime much later, and I'm going to kind of speed this up for you a bit. But standing behind him up on stage was uh, the woman that was going to end up being my wife. But I didn't know that then. But I just remembered later that that's where she was standing when that particular thing occurred. Well, simultaneous to all of that, God just sort of said, if you want to see if I'm real, stick around. So I did. And, Joe, that's when I went from having Jesus as Savior to also having Jesus become my Lord. Hmm. And when that happened, my life did a 180. Now, a lot of times people think when that occurs that everything's going to get really good. What happened to me was things got even worse. And a lot of this is uh, chronicled in Kickstart where uh, I went from making lots of money to not making any money to, I mean, I'm talking about I was making $75,000 a month to $75 a month. Then after Teresa and I married, Family of four lived on less than fourteen thousand dollars a year for three and a half years. We didn't have a telephone for two years. Only six weeks. Didn't have a refrigerator the first year our daughter was born. And anyways, it was it was awful at a bunch of different levels. However, you know we we just hung tough. I mean, I wrote a thirty-seven cent Tide check, but we just kept plugging away. What I found that um, can happen to people is if God has a purpose for you, in some cases he may have to strip you. And it's not like a season of the money not being there or not being well or whatever problems. It's more than a season. He literally has to, you know, get it all out so he can do some with you
1: what was the life event that took you from $75,000 or series of life events that took you from $75,000 a month to $11,000 a year?
0: Well, here's what happened. When I got serious with God, he told me, you know, just kind of told me and showed me that you're not supposed to be in the real estate business because I was getting to the place, Joe, I would be sick to my stomach going to my office. You know that's just not right. My heart was in health and fitness. And I remembered when I was uh, one day I was running around the track at the Cooper Fitness Center in Dallas, Texas, and looking up in the sky and saying, "Lord, I'd love to earn my living here." Well, it wasn't months after that I closed down my real estate business, and a lot of that had to do with the market. Uh, this is back in the mid '80s when the savings and loan crash occurred and you know, here we are in Texas and everything was redlined. I mean they weren't making any loans and, and I I was a full service real estate company that a lot of these developers that were losing their build, buildings to lenders, they were becoming they they were managing their real estate and so I was losing, you know, the leasing of properties and whatnot. We didn't have a very strong brokerage presence but we 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 utilize that to help lease office buildings and so forth. But anyway, um, I went from uh, thirty three buildings down to three buildings in about forty five days because um, uh, your management contracts are thirty days in length. With it, you know they can they can cancel you with thirty days' notice. And that's how I ended up out of the business. And I had been a member at the Cooper Fitness Center, and I was about that same time asked if I would come on staff as a personal trainer and um, be the head martial arts instructor. And I did. And it was all with the support of my wife. Uh, Everything I've, I've done or we've done, we've done because we've agreed to it. And I'll never forget this. She's the one that encouraged me to go back to school at the age of 45 in the midst of all this.
1: So that brings us to school.
0: Oh yeah. I didn't finish. I hated school, Joe. I hated school. I only went to school uh, when I had to, because it was the law and I enjoyed sports, but my grades were never good enough to let me stay on the team long enough to make any difference. And what's ironic is in the book, kickstart, I ended up being too old to play high school football, but ended up <laughs> being able to play when I was 61. Now, that's that shows God has a sense of humor.
1: You went to what college?
0: I was going to go play college football. Um, I had three-four scholarship offers, and I was going to go do that when my father contracted cancer, and I just didn't want to go to college and try to do that while he was sick. Now, what's... Compelling to me now, had I gone and even played a year or a day, I wouldn't have had eligibility to kick at the age of 61, which shows me I wanted to play at 19, but he wanted me to play for him at 61. So that's another thing that I've learned over the years is his timing is is all for what he wants done. And at the same time, he... Um, he knows the desires of your heart. And, you know, you, you, you may take your time is done, but it isn't.
1: So you go from you. So here you are, you, you went, you graduated from a military school and I'm certainly certain there's a story behind that. Oh yeah. And, how I got there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> uh, I bet we can guess. And then through circumstances, you couldn't, you couldn't play a single game, not a minute, not a tick of the clock of of college, sports, whatsoever. And then you started your career. You came into the real estate business very successful. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that brings you to Austin College at what age?
0: Well, Austin College was at the end. Uh, I, I went back to school, like I said, at the age of 45, and I went to Laterno University and uh, finished my undergraduate degree there then went to the University of North Texas and earned a master's degree in kinesiology there. I laid out a year only because I couldn't find where I needed to go for the doctorate that I was going to work on. I originally thought I was going to go to the same place, University of Texas, uh, North Texas, but they were requiring me to take more hours, and I just graduated from the School of Education, I didn't understand all that. So anyway, all that was, again, in God's timing. And, and a year later, I enrolled at Regent University in a Ph.D. program for organizational uh, leadership. While in that program, I went through all the coursework. At the end of the coursework, Regent began to offer what's called a Doctor of Strategic Leadership, which is an applied degree. and I was interested in doing that as opposed to getting the Ph.D., so that's how I finished at Regent. Now, I finished at Regent in 2002, and in 2007, I'm reading the story of Mike Flint, who at 59 went back to college uh, to complete his senior year on the football team. Well, being in the health and fitness industry and being an author and interested in that sort of thing, I contacted a co-author of Fit to Lead, and we discussed writing a book based on the premise, if you maintain fitness throughout your life, when you get older, you might be able to do that sort of thing. Well, in our concept talks, I made the comment, well, what do you think about me going back to college and trying to make a football team as a kicker? And he said, sure, because it wasn't him. And <laughs> um, so I you know, uh, started sending emails to the NCAA and, and finding out about eligibility and Anyway, I'm trying to make the story short. I ended up, there were two schools that I could have attended near the Dallas-Fort Worth area. One was in Waxahachie, which is south of Dallas, and the other is in Sherman, which is Austin College, which is north of Dallas. I chose to go to Austin College for two reasons. One, the yeah, it's it has a tremendous academic rigor. It's on par with Rice and Stanford and Dartmouth. And, I mean, you've got to be very smart to go there. And uh, I wanted to be able to demonstrate that when you're older, you can still do that sort of thing, even with your mind. Now, keep in mind, you know, I have a terminal degree, and then the NCAA eventually says, You can have your year of eligibility, but you have to do a year as an undergrad first. So I went to Austin College for one year and then was able to play the next year. Now, a lot of people would have said, no, I'm not doing that. But my wife and I looked at it as an opportunity to build relationships. Mm -hmm. And in the first place, a football culture at a college is, is, is unique. And you just don't drop in and say, hey, I'm an old guy, and I want to play football. We kind of had to make sure we weren't upsetting the, the, the apple cart, so to speak. You know, again, the rest is history, so to speak. I mean, I, I'm, I'm still uh, there as a, a coach and uh, a professor in the Leadership Institute there. Uh, my daughter's the cheerleader, and uh, this year my son is the team man for the football team. He runs out and gets the team when we kick off. So it's it's just a real huge blessing to be up there. Tom,
1: you can't just say, and the rest of history, and not tell <laughs> us what the history part is. Now, we can go back to episode 63 and, and check it out. <laughs>
0: okay, okay, okay. But, All right, well, here's, here's what happened. Uh, I did make the team, um, but that wasn't just, you know, wasn't like, Bells and whistles after that. I had to work very hard. I had a a serious uh, injury I had to come back from.
1: Let's remind everybody, you've made the team at what age?
0: Uh, At 60.
1: 60 years old. 60 years old, NCAA college football team. Go ahead.
0: Correct. Correct. And and, And the way they do it at Austin College is the kickers are treated like the players. I did all the conditioning they did. Now, I didn't do that the amount of weight, but I did the same weight protocol of modalities that they did. So I was training when they trained and conditioning when they conditioned and then doing my kicking stuff. Then we didn't know if I was going to be able to play at all anyway because the coach we had was a uh, an old school Texas high school legend coach who was now coaching in college. And he, there was nothing he ever did that was for mercy. <laughs> If he put you on the field, it's because he knew you could do it. Mm -hmm. Well, about two two or three weeks before the end of the season, and we're coming up against playing our biggest rival, I had just a phenomenal kicking session. Uh, I was out doing the other kickers, one of which was an all-conference kicker. And the coach came up to me and said, if you keep kicking like this, I will put you in the game. But I had to prove it to him, and I still didn't know um, up until that you know that last game if I was going to kick or not. In fact, what he said was um, closer to that game. I will put you in to kick the extra point after our first touchdown. Okay. Well, we're playing uh, Trinity University, who for. Uh, Division three football in, in our conference and everything, that's like Texas, Oklahoma, and if you know any history behind that game. So um, we uh, score a tying touchdown early in the second quarter. Now, I don't expect – I'm, I'm an old-school guy, so when I played in high school, I didn't go on a field until I was told to go. So I didn't go – immediately out there just because he said he might. I had to be told to go out there. And so I go out there, and um, I was able to tie the score, which to me that said a lot because I was able to contribute to the effort. And he didn't do it um, just to check it off the list. He did it because he knew it was going to help the team. So anyway, and oh, by the way, um, for the first two years, because he and I were fairly close in age, I made a point not to act chummy with him or try to get close to him. I, I treated him like uh, I would. Any player should treat a coach and, and vice versa. In fact, he wasn't just real excited that I was there in the first place because he didn't like circus uh, acts of uh, Anyway, around football, he was very reticent to include any media. It wasn't until after the event that he and I have since become close. And he, in fact, wrote the uh, forward to get a kick out of life and is co authoring our next book. I threw that in there just kind of uh, as connective tissue, but just uh, after the, the kick took place, you'd have thought we won the, you know the conference championship uh, everybody was just screaming going nuts and uh, which is chronicled on YouTube and anyway it's just the whole thing is just uh, continues to be a blessing
1: now the fact is you were legitimately an an NCAA student at a legitimate yes. NCAA college and in yes. a legitimate NCAA athlete And at the age of 61, you became the oldest football player in NCAA history and the oldest NCAA football player to score a point in a game.
0: That's correct.
1: Not, not if, if I understand right, that's, that's any point in any game in any sport. Is that right?
0: Uh, No, I think there's some, some people that have been older that have played basketball, but I'm not really sure. And honestly, Joe, I didn't go up there to set those kind of records. They just that—that's just that was a just a byproduct, and it's been great. I mean, they sent my jersey to the Hall of Fame. You know, that kind of stuff is all icing on the cake, so to speak. But the the big takeaway for Tom has been the relationships and the ongoing uh, quality of life that I enjoy. Just from you know, there's a lot of people that if they felt God had told them to go to college and kick a football when they were older, they, they say, no, that ain't God.
1: So that brings us through fit to lead Mm -hmm. kickstart. And Mm -hmm. now, and now up to get a kick out of life. Expect the best of your body, mind, and soul at any age. How is this? How is this book different from your other books?
0: The thing that most people want, uh, in out of life, is to know how. Uh, You can get a consensus pretty fast on why. For example, in the church, people, we can get the why of, why should we love our neighbor? But the thing is, Joe, you're going to love somebody different than I will. And we need to learn how to do it to be able to then do it the most enhanced way for us, where we end up becoming fulfilled in life. That's where a lot of people miss it, they, they may do a lot of things, but there's not a sense of long-term fulfillment after they've done it. And there's a reason for that. And the reason is, most people, when they set goals, they don't set them to their core values. And then if, you, if you're not doing that, you'll end up just with a sense of achievement mm-hmm. when, in fact, we want to have that sense of fulfillment. And it's also allows you to be the person God intended you to be, to not just be blessed, but to bless other people. And that's the thing that just doesn't stop. Whereas if you did something like, well, I'm going to go earn a pilot's license, and then after you do that, you know, what's there? It's like people that decide to go do uh, American Ninja Warrior or whatever. Well, what do you do after that? You know, how is, how's it going to keep
1: going? And if you don't have goals, goals set based on your core values, Mm
0: -hmm. it's
1: just one empty achievement after another. And you're always, and you're always searching. Is this, is this book geared towards the, those of us and I'm Tom, I'm 50 years old. Those of us in our, uh, in our last quarter.
0: Well, it, can be. The, let me. I'll give you some Genesis and some backstory to this book. I originally uh, got with uh, the co-author that I mentioned that we, we were going to do the, the the book about being fit uh, when you know when you get older. But we decided to do a book, and, and the working title was Fourth and Goal. And the idea was, you know, okay, we're in the fourth quarter. How do we set goals? This, that, and the other. Well, then, as we got working through this, we started seeing, you know what, this isn't just for people as as they've gotten past a certain point. It needs to be for people when they're getting to where the the realities of life are starting to come, come at them. Like, I wish I'd had a book like this when I was a teenager, because it would have really given me a sense of focus, which is what all of us need. and. By demonstrating that the focus should be on those three dimensions of body, mind, and soul, that way you're not distracted. Or at least you don't have the temptation to be distracted and end up in that field of poop we talked about <laughs> in episode 63. That's what this book does. It takes the things that you know. a lot of people say, well, how did you, how did you when you came up against all that failure, how did you keep going? I know you've heard the term autonomous learning. That's really what has to happen. And in that, we develop what's called teachability, or in athletics, you could say coachability. And the thing that I've found, if we want to maintain our relevance throughout our life, and it, whether you're young or you're old, if you have teachability, you'll have relevance. The thing that we need to, uh, I think, we need to do is learn to uh, listen for and recognize wisdom, and then apply it. And and we there's so many times that you know in the scripture where it says wisdom calls out in the marketplace. Mm -hmm. Well, that's that's what I'm talking about. Is that God is is giving us wisdom constantly, but we have to uh, we have to tune ourselves as to who we are and who he is and get that to come together so we can see that wisdom manifest in our own life.
1: Tom, you and co-authors Dr. Christopher Neck and Alice Sullivan uh, divide this book into three distinct segments, uh, body, mind, and soul. And what I'd like to do is get a little preview of each segment, which would, of course, give us a preview of the book by -hmm. discussing a little bit from each segment. Let's start with body, specifically making yourself first and your thoughts, Tom, on fitness and nutrition.
0: How often have you seen or been aware of uh, just by watching television or reading popular press or anything about how people can look like they did when they were in their 20s if they just either... Um, go on this diet program or join this
1: gym i'm reading a book right now tom called younger next year it was yeah. recon- recommended to me by a, a couple friends
0: mm-hmm. and
1: are, are you familiar with the book
0: i'm not but okay. I, i'm familiar with the notion
1: yeah it it it's really it, it's it's heavily geared towards uh, a certain type of nutrition really pretty intense exercise every single day uh let's talk about your ideas on 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 Fitness and nutrition
0: sure, well, first of all, um, Joe, this is something that I you know I discovered when I first got into the health and fitness industry. Think of all the millions of people that um, occupy this planet, and not one of them is alike, and the same goes for their metabolism, hmm. so your metabolism and mine isn't the same, and we can get on whatever diet whatever nutrition protocol, whatever, and neither one of us are gonna look like we think we're supposed to. It's like yeah, uh, you may have heard of Ronnie Coleman, he's a big weightlifter guy. I you and I can do his workout from twenty four seven for the next fifteen years, never look like he does. For a number of different reasons. A lot of it is his metabolism is different than ours his genetics are different than ours, his age is different than ours, and so on and so forth. We've got to come to grips with the understanding that we're all different, and we can't do anything that is um, a template. You can do some protocols that have limitations on either end with a continuum, so to speak. But um, what most people are trying to do is change how they look, and and here's the here's the thing: you're never going to change how you look. Here's why: there's three body types, and I'll just for this. And this is in get a kick out of life. I'll use the the easy way, the easy metaphor: carrot, apple, and pear. Those are the three body types. There's ectomorph, mesomorph, and endomorph. And you can read what the morphs are (laughs) if you go to the book. But what I'm saying is we have to, first of all, accept the body type God gave us. That's simple, but that's very hard, and it can take a long time to do because we'll look at somebody else and go, man, I really want to look like that, dress like that, you know, all that, like that stuff. And God's trying to get us to understand, you know, There's no, first of all, the only comparison you need to make is the one with Jesus, and we already got where that is.
1: Part of our struggle, becoming healthy and becoming fit, is because of these three different body types, our desire to look in a way that is literally impossible for us to look. Correct. And so we're, we're fighting a losing battle. Correct. At, and are you saying that, that we need to understand our body type? And by understanding our body type, we can set realistic expectations for how we're going to look and how we that, will feel.
0: That's correct. And here's okay. the only global thing that you can rely upon. This is it. It's the only one. The big lie is you can look, act, feel, and function. I mean, I mean you look like you were when you were in your 20s. That's the fib. That's the fib. The truth is, if you exercise, and when I say regularly, it means that you're not compulsive, but that's your lifestyle, is to get some sort of exercise in, and it doesn't need to be where you're dragging a leg back to your car. It just means that you're, you know, you're doing something, some, some physical activity. You can look, act, feel, and function 10 years younger than your chronological age. I just turned 69, and I don't look 60, and I don't function like— I mean, honestly, Joe, I, uh, my lifestyle is that of a 28-, 29-year-old grad student. I'm going to do a study one day soon with uh, a friend of mine. that uh, He's the president of the Texas Tech Health Sciences Center and a co-author, uh, and here's the study. We can quantify how much blood Jesus lost when he was scourged. We know how many miles a week he walked during his life. We know how much the cross weighed. We know how far he walked once he had to carry the cross before somebody had to help him. So here's the study. We're going to, by the way, Jesus walked 53 miles a week Hmm. back then. Okay. And And then he was a carpenter, so he was physically fit. And and this is the hypothesis. If you're not physically fit, you will not be able to fulfill God's purpose for your life. So here's what we're doing. We're going to take a blood draw of a fit 33-year-old male and an unfit 33-year-old male. We're going to have them carry an object, the equivalent weight of the cross. Our hypothesis is the fit man will be able to carry it the distance Jesus did before somebody came to help him, and the unfit man won't. So unless you're physically fit, you will not be able to fulfill the purpose God had for your life. Now that's where where I'm coming from with how we deal with exercise in the body.
1: That's a powerful statement, Tom. That's a powerful statement because uh, we can look no further, frankly, than some of our spiritual leaders uh, who are, frankly, not physically fit.
0: They're the worst ta- uh, cohort uh, of all. Did you know that? They, they, they are the most unfit cohort on, on the continuum. And for that very reason, Dr. Cooper in Dallas uh, will give a pastor a type 2 physical for $500 or insurance and It's regularly like a four thousand dollar physical because his heart's for pastors. No, uh, absolutely, they're they're in terrible shape. And I don't know if you uh, how much awareness you have of the military, but I will tell you this: the physical fitness protocol for a basic recruit is different from that of a Navy SEAL or a Ranger or Delta Force person, and the reason is. Their mission is different. The harder the mission, the more arduous the protocol. And so that's why pastors need to be fit.
1: So the long and short is, if you want to fill out, if you want to fulfill God's purpose in your life, and and frankly, what Christian doesn't. I mean, how many times have we been in the conversation with Christians, and they they are saying... Mm I just want to know what God's purpose is for my life. I want to know what God's will is for my life. Really. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, what you're saying, Tom, is you're not going to, even if you did know it, you're not going to be, you're going to, not going to be able to do it in the shape you're in. Correct. That's a little crass, I guess, but, no, but it sounds true. like the truth.
0: It's the truth. And that's the thing that people need to hear. And so many people think, well, physical fitness profiteth a little. Well, but here's the thing, it profiteth. And the thing is, it doesn't need to be a priority in your life, just a part of your life. That's all.
1: Just something that that, that lets you get the work done.
0: <laughs> right. See, the original Greek word for fit is useful. It isn't buff. It isn't, you know, it's none of that. It's, it's useful. So if you're physically fit, you're physically useful. Spiritually fit, you're spiritually useful. And I also have, the, there's some work I've done on the link between physical fitness and spiritual fitness. If you're not physically fit, you can't be spiritually fit.
1: Let's Let's move into uh, the mind section of the book.
0: How many people, Joe, do you know want to change their lives?
1: Most everybody in some sense.
0: Mm-hmm. But they're not willing to change how they think. So You got to do that first. So if you want the opportunity, only the opportunity for long-term behavioral change, there's two variables, only two, and all they do is give you a chance. They don't guarantee it because there are no guarantees. The first one is you have to change the way you think. The second thing is you have to submit your will to that new way of thinking. And and what that does is that carries you past that eight-week period of time where you're wishing, hoping, praying, and everything else to try to get your body, your life to change. And Then after eight weeks, you quit. You go back the old way. Well, these two variables allow They'll get you out to probably 12 weeks. And then by that time, you know, you're starting to see some, some serious benefit that cause you to keep going. But It's like I tell people that, you know, all that work I did to kick a football, the coach may not have ever put me in. At least I was ready. Zig Ziglar, who was a great guy and a great motivational speaker, he, he could, he said this, and I remember this years ago. I heard it in a very small meeting, but it's true. He can tell what somebody's going to be like five years from now from two things, the books they read and the people they associate with. And I know people that don't even read books, whether it's on a Kindle or, you know, whatever, they just don't read. And I know people that hang out with friends just because they hung out with them in high school.
1: You know, it's it's funny that the what people fail to realize is the the Bible is filled with instruction and wisdom and um passages on mindset, mm-hmm. on on controlling what your thoughts are, dwelling on, on what in Philippians, uh Philippians four eight about about keeping your mind on whatever is true and pure and right and Mm -hmm. holy and proper and dwell on these things. It says,
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. well, I mean, I know that in our conversation, these things sound simple, but our world has gotten so influenced by Satan's sophistication that it becomes difficult.
1: You talk a lot about goal setting in this book, and mm-hmm. specifically setting goals that fit your core values. What is the difference between that between that idea and the traditional goal setting uh, goal setting processes that we've that we've learned in the past?
0: Well, here's one thing, and it's how we set goals. And you see this in young people a lot these days. They they will tell you what they're going to do. They'll announce it on Facebook. They'll tell their friends, I'm going to go join the SEALs. I'm going to be a Navy SEAL. And you check back with them two years later, they didn't even join the Navy. And it's not what you start or what you announce. What were the last words Jesus said? It is finished. finished. (laughs) I mean, if Christians would just finish, just finish.
1: How do we do that though, Tom? I mean, the, I, okay. I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying. I mean, really good cool. stuff, but, and simple and m- not easy, but simple, but practically, I mean, we, we set goals with good intentions. We, we, we write them down and we do the smart goals and then we do the smarter goals. And then we, then we, uh we, we try to isolate those goals into what's most important to us. And then we try to, we try to take those goals and and move them out and spread them out throughout the year so we're not overwhelmed. 90% of New Year's resolutions, if not more, never see the light of day after, after the first month. Okay, what, gonna, are we, what are okay, we leaving
0: gonna, out? You're leaving out the most important part. You're not listing the behavioral limitations you're willing to impose on yourself to reach those goals. You know, here's the thing. No is powerful. Without a vision, the people perish. And what that says is it means limitations. You have to be disciplined enough to say no to you. Like if you want to be an Olympic athlete, you are saying no to a social life and so many other things. And people wonder, well, how do you get to do all this? How did you get that to happen? How did you do this? How did you do that? Because I said no to a lot of other things. And I said no to myself a lot and And the other thing is, I didn't do it by myself. I did it with my God and my wife.
1: What does it mean to set goals that fit your core values?
0: Who is Joe? What makes up Joe? do you Have you put together a list of your core values? And most people won't. Most people will set goals but they won't identify their core values. You have to do that first. You can't even you can't even you can try to go find your purpose but without your core values
1: is the idea is the idea that without the core values you have nothing to drive your goals. Is that?
0: You can drive goals and the goals can also have an allure but keep in mind the closer you get to the end the the more the goal loses its Pull to you. That's where it gets that discipline starts to peak. How many times have you been aware of people that lack three hours or a couple of courses to get a college degree? There's a lot of them out there. Sure. Are. There's a lot of people that get close and then they go. And eh. part of that is part of it is not all of it, but part of it is it wasn't necessarily tied to their core value. It was just something they felt like they should do or had to do or wanted to do for the moment. Now, this is unique to me, Joe. I'm not saying this is for everybody, but one of the things I found, and this is, you'll see it manifested, or I see it manifested, when men get older and they have these midlife crises, and they go back and they buy a muscle car, and they do this, and they do that. A lot of the things that we wanted to do were in our pre-20s, or up to at least 25, and then as we get older, we think, eh, I'm too old, eh, I can't, you know, we give up on that stuff. But those were things that really meant something to us back then. You know, we kind of have. It's kind of like going through a toy box. You kind of have to go through and find the toy that <laughs> means the most. This is another part of the journey I found with the Lord is that He loves going through the toy box with you. He loves it. He He loves you showing Him what you thought was cool, and he, you know, the, you you get that time with Him. I'll, I'll never forget when I was at my deepest point of disappointment and discouragement on this football journey. You know, my leg hurt, I couldn't kick, and and I was still trying to rehab and getting into the season and this, that, and the other. And I just remember turning around, I was out on the field by myself, and I said, God, you know, why are we doing this? This is just awful. And here's what he said, or how I came to my spirit this way. I made you for this. Well, as soon as I knew that, nothing was going to stop me.
1: That brings us to the third section of the book, The Soul. Mm -hmm. You talk about finding a deeper faith and enjoying the journey.
0: It's three dimensions, really. You have to learn how to trust God that's number 1 and I explain how to do it in the book then you've got to develop knowing him and then you go from from knowing god to loving god it tells you how in the book or a way not the way a way and because people have to adapt some of this to their own person and and then the other thing is you know strengthening your Relationships between your family and friends, and realizing that your wealth is are your relationships is not your money.
1: How significant is it to enjoy the journey, Tom?
0: Oh, it's vital, even when it's crummy. <laughs> even wow, that's when a it's good crummy. point. Yeah. If you say to yourself, "Okay, this is not going the way I would like," well, that's a clue because here's what I found: anything worthwhile in life it's worth doing will challenge you to quit at least once at least once i can't tell you how many times i wanted to quit my doctorate when i was working on it i said to my wife i've got a master's why do i need that she said you keep going don't quit i remember there was a gentleman that wanted me to train him as a personal trainer and so i said well let's have lunch and talk because the one thing you want to be able to do is not change outcome. You want to change behavior first, because if you don't change behavior, the outcome is never going to happen. So when we were talking, I said, well, here's a, here's a, here's what I'd like for you to do for the next 30 days. For lunch, just eat a big salad. And he looked at me and says, I hate salads." Well, I knew right then I couldn't train him. I would go back. I hated school, Joe. I hated school. Because what happened was I went from hating school to loving learning. And that's what they don't teach in public schools anymore. They don't teach Well, they didn't teach to me at all. You need to teach kids how to love learning and how to think. None of which occurs in the public education. None of it. And that's why it's like a license plate factory. They just stamp out diplomas. I mean you you wouldn't believe the emails that I get from some of my students when I send stuff out of the questions that they they say to me and I'm going really you're really asking me this question and not that it's a bad question but I mean I don't understand why they don't understand. And a lot of it is they just you know they just want to check stuff off a list.
1: Tom do you think you naturally have this drive? You're 69 years old, brother. In many cases, people are winding down and trying to just make it through the, the end years of their life. And, mm-hmm. and you're you're starting new careers, a father to an 11-year-old. Uh, what drives you personally? What, what gives you the energy? What gives you the stamina? What gives you the focus?
0: It's my faith in God that this is what he wants me to do. It's not about Tom. It's about other people. And that's the drive. It's about helping other people. Kickstart was written if it only helped one person have a different view of God and their, and their life at the moment. And Get a Kick Out of Life is written if it can help just one person figure out how to get their life going in a different direction and be more fulfilling to them. So it's not about, this isn't about... Tom. and you know well, I don't think about the things I've done, I think about the things I'm going to do, and that reminds me of Paul. He presses on you know um, he considers everything he did, nothing, and then presses on to the goal set before him, and that's just how I am
1: as we wrap up, uh how do you hope a person is changed by get a kick out of life?
0: Well, as I said, that, that they find their way um, to enhance those three areas of their life to where they have a much more fulfilling life, and it, it's, it's rich in the sense that the texture has changed, and the, everything about their life is different. But here's there's a caveat. This is not going to work for anybody that hasn't made Jesus Lord of their life.
1: Wow, that is so counter to, to what you typically hear, Tom.
0: Joe, this world is a mess, and it's in a mess for a lot of reasons, but one of which is that the spirit of deception is, is running rampant, and truth is not valued. If you don't value truth in your own life, all the wisdom in the world ain't going to matter
1: the book is get a kick out of life expect the best of your body mind and soul at any age by dr tom 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 (laughs) thompson thank you so much for hanging out my brother
0: hey joe it's always a blessing and a pleasure
1: take care get a kick out of life is available on amazon.com Tom's website is 91kick.com. That's the number nine, the number one, K-I-C-K.com, 91kick.com. These links and his other links can be found in today's show notes at onfaithsedge.com slash 110. That's onfaithsedge.com slash 110. I love bringing you these engaging conversations about faith. If this show entertains you, encourages you, informs you, or brings value to your life in any way whatsoever, Will you consider financially backing the show through using any Amazon link at onfaithsedge.com? We'll get a modest commission from the purchase, but it doesn't cost you a penny more. Well, that'll wrap up today's show. Thank you to Tom Thompson for being with us, and thank you for listening. You mean a lot to me, and you mean a lot to this show. Remember, God is real. He loves you, and so do I. God bless. Thank you for listening to On Faith's Edge. You can subscribe to the show via iTunes, Stitcher Internet Radio, or your favorite podcast app on Android, Apple, or Windows devices. To reach out to Joe or leave comments about the show, visit onfaithsedge.com. You're important to us, and we would love to hear
0: from you.